What's $40,000 when you get murdered in a motel shower outside of Gorman? This is Psycho. Hey everybody, welcome to Seen and Heard. This is the podcast where two entertainment assistants go through the sight and sound top 100 greatest films of all time list. I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. And we are back, like we said, on the sight and sound list this week, pinging and ponging towards the center as we get ever so closer to the end of the 2012 list. Uh, we're we're close. We are. We're getting close-ish, yeah. Today's film psycho is number 35. Wow. Also 35, Metropolis, which we did before. Jeanne Dielman, which is next, 35. And also 35, Satan Tango, which we already did. Well, oh, we, we did that one out of sequence, but right. yeah. Wow. So we've got 135 to go wow. after today. <laughs> the magic of the tide, sight and sound list. Yeah, who knows? Who knows why? Well, before we get into this week's film, Jackie, what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Um, I went to, have you heard of Mezzanine? Yes. Mezzanine is a new like independent screening company, I guess, in LA. And they were doing a screening of The Lighthouse, also known as Mayak, which is a film by uh, Maria Sahakyan. It's actually the first film in... Armenia to be directed by a woman. It was made in, wow. I believe, 2006. It was so the year first I graduated film. high school. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, it was the first film in Armenia to be directed by a woman, as I said. It is a really beautiful, like, Tarkovsky kind of story about a woman who goes to a, her war-torn village to try to get her grandparents to move to Russia to safety. And, uh, yeah, it's really beautiful. And, of course, the first film by a woman is incredible wow i need to see it yeah it's great and it's i've never seen it on the big screen so it was a very very special experience uh, i watched a film called anias in love have you heard of it yeah, i have it's like a fun modern romary french movie from a few years ago it's fun it's really fun and it has a really good ending like a surprising ending like you think you know how these movies are gonna end but this one was like kind of surprising it was nice I watched All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt, which was from last year. It's filmed by Raven Jackson. It's just like an extremely sensually pleasing movie. It's all about like touch and sounds. It's, you hate those. What do you mean? Those are your least favorite kind you know of what? movies. You would love it. There's so much rain. Oh, I mean, the really? whole title of the movie is based on rain, essentially. Okay, I'll be there. And yeah, it's about like senses and memory and like the meeting of the two. And then I rewatched Past Lives. So I realized as I was writing this, all four of the movies are like about women by women about like memory and immigrating and feelings and coming into your own and falling in love and it was just such a crazy pattern that i had no intention of cool doing and it just happened i love that yeah what have you been watching the complete opposite <laughs> <laughs> slasher movies mm, adjacent i saw a movie called cemetery man for the first time by the great Italian director. That's my favorite movie. Michele Suave with Rupert Everett. That's my favorite movie. Yeah, I know. That's why I brought it up. 
<laughs> Rupert Everett plays it's an Italian film from the 90s and he plays a keeper of the cemetery and it's a kind of a dark comedy and about you know bodies coming back to life and sex sex with the bodies and that kind of thing I saw uh, I liked it too uh, the killer I saw the killer I saw this before our the last episode we did which is our favorite films from 2023 because I was trying to catch up so I saw the right. David Fincher film and Look, I think I'd heard a lot of bad things about this. Uh-huh. I know you two, you saw it and you did not uh, heart it on Letterboxd, which for <laughs> you is like a deafening blow with, if you don't have that heart. But that's all I'd heard. Like my friend was like, oh, we turned it off like 20 minutes in. Oh, I was like, really? oh, okay, it's going to be bad. But I, I was like, it entertained me. But yeah, it's like, it's Fincher on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Like it's a cool, you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I saw it. It's, it's, inter- it's, it's like, engaging, yeah, but it's, and I love that sort of like the mundane life of a spy or in mm-hmm. this case, a hitman. I love that stuff. Like I'm obsessed with just like the things that you would logistically have to do if you're waiting on a balcony to like right. kill somebody. That was cool. But it's ultimately just, I don't know, Fincher stuff kind of feels a little smug sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, actually all the time. But I feel like a lot of the time the material is there to back it up. And I felt in this case it wasn't really. I do love Michael Fassbender. Yeah, I think I he's magnetic him. on screen. But yeah, the film just kind of felt ultimately uh, disposable. Yeah. I saw a couple from our friends at Deaf Crocodile. I saw The Mysterious Castle and the Carpathians. This one was great. Based on a Jules Verne story. These are both Czech, I believe. But yeah, this is kind of a Jules Verne, uh, almost proto-Terry Gilliam film, although it's made in 81, so Gilliam's already around and doing things. But it had this great kind of, it's very zany, it's kind of dark, mm-hmm. it's, it's just full of visual invention. And then another one from them, uh, Visitors from the Arcana Galaxy. Mm-hmm. This one I didn't like as much. This one is very bizarre. In some flashes of brilliance, but yeah, I didn't like overall love this one. Mysterious Castle, I thought was a great movie. Uh, but yeah, that's what I've been watching. Nice. Yeah, that's a nice variety. Yeah, there's more too. I had to cut it off. I saw I'm No Angel with Mae West. Ooh, and Cary Grant. Yeah. And also rewatched Natural Born Killers. Molly hadn't seen it, and I hadn't seen it in like 20 years. With um, the Mae West Cary Grant movies, there's two I've seen, and I cannot tell you which is which. I'm No Angel is the one where she plays, um, she works in a circus. Yes. And she like puts her yeah. head in the lion's mouth. Yeah, yeah. And the other one is She Done Him Wrong. Yes. And it's like, actually, I already kind of forgot that exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they're fun. Yeah, you don't remember them for the plots. It's right. like you go because of her ridiculous like one-liners and <laughs> her vibe. Her vibe, exactly. <laughs> her voice. But that's great. Yeah, so, so that's me. Yeah, Nice. So uh, we're here doing Psycho today. Like I said, it's number 35 on the 2012 list. It's number 31 on the 2022 list. So it went up a little bit. Okay. Like just by a few spots. Yeah. This is our second Hitchcock, right? Yes. And that was our first ever episode. That was our first ever episode. So we have, I wrote this down now. I'm trying to find where I wrote it down. So on the 2000. 12 list we have rear window and north by northwest left and then on the 2022 list all of the movies that are on the 2012 plus the birds interesting that got added to the top 100 huh no 250 oh two sorry <laughs> that was my but all of the ones that are in the top 100 are in the top 100 got still, it got it i believe cool i don't know 
find it on my page. I believe you. <laughs> well, should we just get into it? Oh my god, yeah. From 1960, this is Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Psycho was released in 1960. It was directed by Alfred Hitchcock and written by Joseph Stefano, based on the novel of the same name by Robert Bloch. Cinematography by John L. Russell and music by Bernard Herrmann. In Phoenix, Arizona, Marion Crane and her out-of-town lover, Sam Loomis, have a lunchtime tryst where Sam complains that he can't afford to marry Marion as long as he has to pay alimony to his ex-wife. Back at the office, Marion is assigned to deposit $40,000 into a safe deposit box at the bank. Marion takes off with the $40,000 to Fairvale, which is where Sam is from, but nearly falls asleep at the wheel. Paranoid by the presence of a police officer, the next morning she trades her car in for a different one. She continues driving, but the rain is so powerful that she pulls into a roadside motel to spend the night. There, she is greeted by the soft-spoken proprietor, Norman Bates. Norman makes Marion dinner and complains about his domineering mother, who doesn't approve of his spending time with her. After dinner, Marion decides to return to Phoenix first thing in the morning and try to set things right. However, as she takes a shower before bed, she is stabbed to death by a mysterious figure in a dress. Norman bursts in shortly after, discovering Marion's body and quickly cleans up the crime scene, disposing of her belongings, body, and car in the nearby swamp. A week after her disappearance, Marion's sister, Lila, finds Sam in Fairvale, but realizes he doesn't know where Marion is. A private investigator named Arbogast, hired to find the money, finds them both and starts to investigate every hotel and motel in the area. He suspects Bates's mother might know something and returns unannounced to enter the Bates's house on the hill above the motel. There, he is murdered by the same dress-wearing figure. After getting little help from the local authorities, who insist that Mrs. Bates has been dead for 10 years, Lila and Sam go to Bates' motel themselves. There, Lila discovers the body of Norman's mother in the cellar, complete with a wig and dress. She is then attacked by a knife-wielding Norman in a dress and wig, but Sam stops him. With Bates in custody, a psychiatrist at the police station explains that Norman killed his mother and her lover, but stole his mother's body and preserved it with chemicals. The guilt from his matricide was so strong that he kept his mother alive in his mind, often having full-on conversations by speaking in her voice. Norman murdered women he found attractive as his jealous mother with no recollection of doing it himself. The psychiatrist concludes that Norman Bates has ceased to exist and his mother's personality has now completely taken over his mind. The film stars Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates, Janet Leigh as Marion Crane, Vera Miles as Lila Crane, and John Gavin as Sam Loomis. 
You might remember John Gavin from An Imitation of Life and Vera Miles from The Searchers. Yes. The novel was inspired by a real-life serial killer who lived near the author, Robert Block. Ed Gein was a murderer and grave robber who also cross-dressed and had a shrine to his dead domineering mother. So that's what inspired the novel. But we owe this movie to the genius of an assistant. Mm-hmm. It was Hitchcock's longtime assistant and sometime script supervisor, Peggy Robertson, who read a review of the novel and suggested it to Hitchcock. Uh, the book had already been rejected by Paramount Studio readers. Obviously, Paramount did not want to make this movie. And Hitchcock financed and produced it independently with Paramount distributing it instead. Instead of a salary, he proposed a 60% stake in the film's negative. He shot the film using his TV crew from Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and he chose to do it in black and white to save money, and also so that it could be like less gruesome with the blood. And uh, it was made for $806,947, and it grossed $50 million at the box office. Uh, Janet Lee accepted without even asking about a salary. She owed Paramount one more movie in her contract, so it like kind of worked out, but she was all in. It was shot at Universal Studios. The set is still up today and probably the coolest part of the Universal Studio tour. Oh, for I mean, sure. I think it is. What do you, what do you think? A hundred percent. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the aerial shot of Phoenix, Arizona was supposed to be one smooth shot leading into the window, uh, but it didn't really that's work ambitious out. i know it didn't really work out so they kind of had to splice it and then shoot the rest in the studio but the shots of her driving on the street like for the projection in the car that was actually shot in phoenix and christmas decor was up so hitchcock he didn't want it like he didn't have the intention of like oh this takes place like december 11 but because those Chris that christmas decor was up in phoenix he kind of had to put that in there right but then he kind of abandons it right like i thought i figured like Okay, it's going to be... Because I don't well, know... Well, but would would the Bates Motel be decorated for Christmas? Do you no, think no, that's no. something Norman would do? Not the Christmas do? thing. I just think that I figured it would pop up like a week later, December... Oh, the dates. 18, yeah. I see. Because he goes ah. December 11, 2 o'clock. So then you think it's going to be one of those like investigative... Because oh. sometimes crime movies do that, right? Yeah, I never thought about that. But yeah, it's just... It's never brought up again. So when she's driving, that part it was shot between Gorman and Fresno on the 99. Shout out. <laughs> uh, Bakersfield is where she trades the car. Did you know that the Bates house is inspired by an Edward Hopper painting? Yes, I have seen House that. by the Railroad. It looks just like it. That's right. Yeah. Um, Norman eating candy corn was like a improvised Anthony Perkins thing. Like he just got that. Created that tick himself. Only a psycho could like candy corn. I know, right? Uh, and then have you heard the rumor that Alfred Hitchcock hid different versions of the mother corpse in Janet Lee's dressing room? No. So as they were working on it, he wanted... She thinks that... So basically, there's a whole... There's several books about the making of this movie, right? And one of them Are is... There? Yeah. I'm kidding. One I'm of them kidding. is Janet Lee's uh, autobiography. And so I think what she was saying was like... It was a joke, but also I think he was trying to find out what was the most scary, just like based on her reaction. Oh. It was as they were like working on the corpse. That wily Hitchcock. I know. 
Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, Pat Hitchcock, is in this movie. She is Marion's colleague, Caroline. And people are saying that's why he chose to do his cameo outside the office so he could like share a scene with his daughter. Oh, I know. And this movie kind of changed the way people went to the movies because showtimes weren't strictly enforced beforehand. You just knew like the evening show was like that time and there would be what, like the previews before, like maybe even another B movie. Like, you know, it was like, it wasn't as strict. But then with this movie, Hitchcock was like, you can't let people in after the movie is It was started. part, of, they made it part of the marketing campaign. Yeah. On the standee for the movie, there was an image of Hitchcock pointing to it's his really watch. It's huge. He's like, if you arrive late to Psycho, like, you will not be admitted. And Bogdanovich talked about when he first saw it, apparently, like, a speaker started blaring with Hitchcock's voice saying, like, everyone get in the theater, like, it's time. Oh, I love that. How cool is that? So, the Hayes Production Code still being enforced at this time. It lasted until 1968, technically. However, they were being more lenient with certain films as long as the filmmaker would cooperate with their requests. So, Hitchcock made a bargain with the censor saying that he would reshoot the opening love scene with someone from, like, one of, one of their representatives on set if they let him keep the shower scene. Uh, they planned the reshoot, and I believe they did the reshoot, but the censor never showed up. Really? There yeah. you go. Perfect. And this was the first mainstream American movie to feature a toilet bowl yep. being flushed. Yep. So yeah, they gave him a little slack, the censors. But it was required that the psychiatrist explain that Norman Bates is not actually a transvestite. So that was a... Re- okay, yes, yes. Because they go, oh, he's not... A, he's not a sexual goes, pervert. Right. Don't worry. No, because one of them is like, oh, he's a transvestite. And they and the psychiatrist goes, not exactly. He's, his, he's just his mom. Like, he doesn't want to be a woman. Right. You know? Because that would have tipped it over. Right. But the movie was heavily edited for foreign censors. In a strange twist of fate, because we're always talking about how movies are censored for American audiences. But as it happens, this film was really hard to release in Ireland. Apparently, it went through like so many recuts for the Irish. Uh, Singapore, in Singapore, there's no Mother's Corpse at all. Wow. Or there wasn't. In 1968, it got an M rating, M for mature. That's what the MPAA guideline was. Mm-hmm. But in 1984, the film was re-rated for the VCR era as R, yeah, and right. it remains that way today, which yeah. is crazy to me. Like, when it started and it showed, because I rented it on Amazon, and it showed rated R, I was like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that should be reevaluated, probably. No, oh, definitely. You said it was re-rated in 1984? Well, it's funny because 84 is the year that PG-13 became a thing. So, so maybe this was rated before PG-13. No, no, no. It was part of that reform. Oh. It was like there's too much blood and violence on VHSs for like kids to see at home. So that's why PG-13 was invented. And I think that's why this was rated R. I think it's like not so much of like what you see on screen, more of like the implications. For of, like sure. It's a deeply upsetting story that like kids shouldn't see. Yeah, right? definitely. The film received kind of mixed reviews on release there's one critic her name is c.a lejean who was a critic for the observer she was british and she not only walked out of the screening but she quit her job at the observer after because she was so traumatized (laughs) but the film went on to receive four oscar nominations director supporting actress for janet lee art direction and cinematography and janet lee won the golden globe there you go there have been three sequels to Psycho, Psycho 2, Psycho 3, 
and Psycho 4. Have you seen any of those? No. Have you? Yeah. Psycho 2 is good. Okay. So Psycho 4 was made for, I want to hear about Psycho 2. But Psycho 4 was made for, it was a made-for-TV movie in which Olivia Hussey plays Norma Bates, Norman's mother. Oh, okay. Uh, it was made for Showtime as part of a Psycho retrospective hosted by Janet Lee, And it was written by the original writer, Stefano. Stefano? <laughs> yes. I think he's from New York or something. So, and Anthony Perkins reprises his role. Yeah, and in all of them. All of them. Yeah. And he directed Psycho 3 himself. Yeah, that's right. That is so crazy to me. No, the the sequels are respected. I think at the time they weren't, but in this day and age, like they're especially two and three. So you like like two? I've only seen two. I haven't seen three or four and I want to. I've heard four is not good. Really? I heard just from the research, it seemed like it was. Well, I mean, I still want to see it. I don't know. It's written by the original writer. No, all I can say about two, because that's the one I have seen, is it's. A well-done movie. And again, yeah, Anthony Perkins reprises. It's about him getting out of prison. He comes back to the motel. But how did he let him He has to get a... Because he's done his time. He's done like 20 years or whatever. Because it's made in the 80s. Psycho 2. Right, but in what world would he be released from prison? You know... First of all, it's a fucking series. It's a movie. <laughs> but like, I don't know. People are reformed. People, the, the psychiatrist wrote him a, cl- a clean bill. I don't know. That's terrifying. But he gets out and then he like gets a job at this like local diner and he's like the dishwasher or something. Are you serious? Yeah. And then a, a lot of it is him struggling with people being like, oh shit, that's Norman Bates. And he's like just trying to like go clear and, you know. Oh, he is. a oh, poor guy. <laughs> but no, yeah, the, the sequels are respected. Um, there's also a near shot-for-shot remake of Psycho called Psycho that was released in 1998 by Gus Van Sant. Sant. I'd say it is it is shot-for-shot. That was his whole thing. It was an experiment on his end. Like, I'm going to use the same score. I'm going to use exactly the same shots just to see if it would work, if it would elicit the same response. No, because he cast Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. But do you think that if he cast someone else, it would have worked? Maybe. Why, though? Like, what's the point? I mean, it's... I get it. It's an experiment on his part. It's an interesting but probably super expensive yeah. experiment. Julianne like, Moore is in it. William H. Macy. Also, uh, Viggo Mortensen. Mm. Right? That's right. He's the John Gavin role. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There was also in 1987 a network TV movie called Bates Motel that was meant to serve as a pilot for a series that never got picked up and Bud Cord is in it. <laughs> Do you know about this? No. He was in, I think, the hospital with Norman and Norman like leaves him the motel, but he's also disturbed. <laughs> and then there was the television series Bates Motel in 2013. I have a couple more. As if we <laughs> go for it, Hitchcock. I mean, listen, this is one of the most famous movies of all time. Like, yeah, there's we got so do it much written about it. And uh, so Hitchcock was 61 when he made this. So if anyone's ever feeling down, I mean, obviously he'd been working for decades. But I think the fact that you can do something because for Hitchcock. This was his low-budget indie movie. Mm-hmm. He'd just come off North by Northwest, this big Vista Vision spectacle with like ending on Mount Rushmore, like scaling Mount Rushmore and Cary Grant and Ethan Marie Saint Amazing. and stuff. And then this is his down and dirty, like using his TV crew, doing it for a fraction of the budget, shooting it in black and white. So I think it's the fact that he was 61 and he was able to like reinvent himself and kind of start a whole genre and yeah. is is very impressive. Also, the whole intro, I guess the in the book by Robert Block, Norman Bates is like this middle-aged pudgy guy who looks like... I, have exactly, I was going to talk about it later. 
it was Joseph Stefano who pitched it to who adapted the screenplay. He pitched it to Hitch, like, oh no, he sh- Hitch, like I know him, uh, Hitchcock, and he was like, oh, he should be like a younger, yeah. good-looking guy, or whatever. That you kind of feel bad about. Yeah. You kind of feel bad for him because he's awkward. But it was Stefano that pitched the whole Marion thing. He's like, yeah. okay, we begin the film for the first like twenty-six minutes of this movie. We're just that's how long it takes to get Such to the base motel. Choice. So that was his take. Yeah. So the whole. One of the big revolutions of this movie is like you're following who you think is the protagonist and then she's murdered like 40 minutes into Literally. the movie. That's like its legacy. I think if anything I, that yeah. this movie did, that's its biggest like single legacy. I agree. And that was Stefano. That it's was Joseph an Stefano. amazing, amazing choice. Also, Stefano's first draft of the script is what was shot. So he did one draft and Hitchcock's like, we're shooting that. Also, this was only his second movie. Stefano? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, I want to say too, just coming from um, like a Hitchcock perspective, I want to say this is like the first real shocker of Hitchcock's career. I think he never really did, because in so many ways, this is kind of a horror movie. Mm -hmm. And while he was the master of suspense, like nothing before this really really went for the jugular and like partially because of the times, but I think... You know, I think his most intense thing before this was like maybe Vertigo, mm-hmm. maybe Shadow of a Doubt. Mm. Is that one also deals with like a, a domestic killer? And then the last piece I have here is that Walt Disney famously called this movie disgusting. Really? <laughs> so oh, there was no, there was no, I mean, he was like also 60 when this came out. He's not going <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Walt, this is a discussion for another time, but I feel like Walt Disney in his early years was like an adventurous artist. Like he collaborated with like Salvador Dali and stuff and was interested in, you know, he did Fantasia. And then when he got older, he just got more conservative and I feel like maybe more boring. I don't know. I also don't want to, I don't want to slander the man, but uh, anyway, yeah, those are my, to add to those your. Those are great. Those yeah. are great. Who wants to go first? Do you want to go first? Do you remember the first time you saw Psycho? It was for this viewing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So, um, like all good SoCal residents, I am a frequenter of Universal Studios, the theme park. Yeah, buy a day, get a year free is basically the best <laughs> deal around. And so I used to go so much that I used like I thought that I could give the studio tour at one point. I oh because growing up I always had a pass and I would always go yeah in a way I this my first experience of Psycho was definitely on the studio tour like it just was and I knew exactly what he was gonna do I knew he was gonna take out a body covered in plastic come at us with the knife and in a way it's kind of annoying because that spoils the movie right (laughs) true no it totally does yeah yeah and then there's always the clip before that used to play where it was like, you can't go up there. And she's like, why? And he goes, Bates. Like, I, I remember it. I don't even know if they still play that. They don't. Yeah. So that was my first exposure to this movie. I And I almost wish it wasn't because what would it be like to see this movie with a clean slate? Like what actual clean slate? And I, I'm not saying the studio tour is completely responsible. Like this is the, one of the most famous movies of all time. There, I don't think I would have seen it with a clean slate anyway. But just thinking about that, like, that would have been really awesome. I think this is probably my only, like, I think I've only seen this movie, like, three times. I really haven't seen it that much. And so it is still, like, really a thrilling watch to me. Like, I love watching this movie. Maybe it's because I haven't seen it so many times. 
the dialogue is fun. It's like he's fun to watch. The opening scene is still like so surprising to me. Just seeing them in bed, like at that time, I don't know, uh, like for an American movie. But yeah. I still, every time I watch it, I still, I'm like, I can't believe he got away with this. Like, truly, I'm shocked. So, yeah, it, I really like, I have no complaints, but it's not. <laughs> no complaints. No, I don't. I, it's a fun movie to watch. Like, I love watching this movie, but it's not my go to, it's not my favorite. And I know there's kind of this thing we've talked about it before. I just like a natural. Uh, you're like disinclined to like say something that's the most famous of whatever is like your favorite, right? I mean, it depends. I mean, I guess it depends. But even despite that, like, yeah, I don't know. Like the way that we're like, yeah, like Casablanca is not my favorite movie of all time. You know, I'm going to push back a little bit just because some of my, like on my short list of favorite films are like really like big, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark or even Jaws or something. So yeah. it's it's not even that I'm like trying not to pick them. It's just like, you know, it's just, so it does happen for you. I Maybe mean, I'm just like disinclined. Yeah, I don't know. It depends. But like, there is an annoyance that comes along with a movie that is so fucking quoted and ingrained in culture. Like when I watch When Harry Met Sally now, and I get to that cat scene, I'm not like, I'm, I, I kind of roll my it. eyes because I'm like, mm, everyone and their fucking grandma like quotes this goddamn part. And it's like, so there is sometimes there's an annoyance at like a really famous scene in a movie. Yeah. But I don't feel that with the shower scene. Like, I oh, no. think that scene is perfect. Like, yeah. I think it's incredible. No notes for but, me? What? No, no notes? No notes. <laughs> no notes. He's doing good. Keep up the good work. But yeah, it's just not my go-to. It's probably just because I don't like horror that much. Like, I love all his other work, like, uh, more. <laughs> Including the birds. You know, I haven't seen The Birds. I can't watch oh. it. No, like, I don't think I can watch it. Why would I intentionally put myself in that position? I've avoided it. It's Honestly, it's great. I don't think I can watch it. It's great. I think maybe I should wait until we're doing, like... That movie's more horrifying than this. I'm sure. Oh, I believe it with my whole body and soul. Like, birds are <laughs> disgusting. Great movie. Fantastic movie. What can I say? Yeah, well, you know, thinking about it, I think my first exposure to this was also probably the studio tour as a kid. Yeah. Um, but I, f I remember seeing this vividly for the first time because, again, it's such a famous movie. And the, sh the shower scene is so famous and Norman Bates. And I feel like, yeah, like you said, like in the way that Luke Skywalker, you everyone knows that Vader's his dad. His dad, exactly. It's the same thing with Norman Bates. Like you grew up and you just know the twist of He's this movie. He's a bad guy, Yeah. Um, and even that I knew before seeing it that he dressed up as his dead mother and stuff. See, I don't even know if I knew that. You know where I learned it? From Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh. <laughs> There's that scene where he has like this, the wig on and he's like, I look like Norman Bates. Yes, anyway. yes, yes. So I remember seeing this for the first time. I grew up um, occasionally for the summers we would go up to Lake Tahoe. And it was my grandparents' place, and they would have, like, they had a VHS collection. But, of course, like, it was very limited. Like, they maybe had, like, ten movies. And this was one of them. And I remember being up there one summer, bored. That's so fun. And I was like, my cousin was there with me, and I was like, do you want to watch Psycho? And he was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, shit, let's do it. <laughs> I was, like, all scared. That's so fun. I, I wish scared. I had that. Yeah, so I, I I don't know that it terrified me then. In fact, it didn't. In fact, I was probably disappointed when I first saw it because I was probably already like twelve or something. I think 
we're all just desensitized to yeah. it because it's so popular. Like because it's popular and yeah. So I wasn't. It didn't. It's never like terrified me or anything. But I've seen this. I don't know over the years, maybe upwards of ten times. You know, because again, I saw it for the first time like twenty five years ago or something. But yeah, it's it's a it's a great film. I I feel similarly as you. Like it's a great film. Truly, no notes, and Hitchcock makes it look easy. Mm-hmm. Like the pacing, the structure, it's just the camera, everything. Bernard Herrmann's score, everything is working in beautiful unison. It's a really fantastic piece of cinema that I agree. Like I wish I could have been there when it came out, and it could have rocked my world. And I'm like, I've never seen anything like this before. But yeah, it's it's not the Hitchcock that I go to. It's not the Hitchcock that I think about. But it's a great film and truly no notes. Yeah, except literally. For, well, except for the end. I think the end is trash. I Wait, think, really? Oh, it's trash. Should we just jump to that? Let's talk about it real quick. Yeah. Let's do it. Why not? The, the psychiatrist explanation. It's terrible. <laughs> he in had fact, to do that, though. I think he had to do that for the censors. In the book, the way it is in the book is that um, Sam is telling it to, what's her name? Marion? No, Marion's sister. Oh, Lily? Or Lila? Lila. Lila. One day we'll Sam go. is saying it to Lila, but he had to change it to the psychiatrist, kind of like explaining it to all of them. Yeah. So uh, you don't like it. Pauline Kale and I Pauline Kale agrees. Why are you jumping ahead? Well, spoiler alert, there's no she didn't review this movie. Oh. So I'll I'll kind of reference her now quickly, and then I'll have a little more at the end. But Pauline Kale, there was this whole because she didn't start at the New Yorker until I think Topaz came out. So like she was only reviewing at the New Yorker for like the last few Hitchcock films. And there's this big, I guess, misconception that she didn't like Hitchcock. But apparently people are like, oh, that's actually not true. She just didn't get around to reviewing most of them. But she did call the last scene in this arguably Hitchcock's worst scene. And I completely agree. <laughs> it's like, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. And anytime I want to bump this up to five stars on Letterboxd, I think about that scene. I'm like, no, 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 you're not getting that last half a star. Because <laughs> that is that is an egregiously I'm sure terrible. He's rolling in his grave that you haven't given him five stars for this movie. <laughs> he is just livid right now. It's, it's the worst, like, shit fuck scene I've ever seen in my life. Shit fuck scene. <laughs> but um, we what? really earned our explicit tag right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate? so much it's just fucking it's ter- because it's insulting I mean. it's insulting <laughs> do and you like but do you like returning to norman bates yes oh yes i'm talking the, the crossfade is incredible. i do i no 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 the stuff with the the, the dolly into norman oh. bates with the voiceover that's Thank beautiful <laughs> and the last shot of the car being dragged from the lake is beautiful and the crossfade of the corpse on his face yes yes that that shook me like, william that freakin me. was doing that he i think he got he did that in The Exorcist. Mm. Um, but, I mean, later, obviously. Yeah, the whole explanation scene is an insult to anyone's intelligence. Even in 1960, like, there were so many noirs and, like, complicated Howard Hawks movies and things coming out at that time that were twisty and complicated yeah. that didn't need this big end scene. We're like, well, here's what you just saw. This happened, and this happened. But he's not a transvestite. It's like, oh my God. Also, the fucking guy does not feel like a psychiatrist. He's like some Jersey feeling like thug guy. And Lila has, neither of them have any reaction to like, yes, Marion is dead. I know. They're not even shocked. They're not even sad or shocked. Yeah. No, seriously. It is a terrible scene. And it unfortunately tarnishes this film. 
Like, it just does. And I know yeah. he had to put it in there, I guess, but it's terrible. Maybe it's, he ran out of money, too. Like What? Like, maybe he's running scene. out of money. But well, we just, have to know what happened. Yeah, people, Without that scene, we don't know anything. We do. People should be able to put it together, I feel like. No. And Back that, then? Yeah. I wouldn't put it together. I would not put it together. Right, in a more subtle way. Have this guy... That's or one let's of my, see the actual interview, at least. This is like, one of my least favorite things in a movie, is that device of like just telling you, just downloading the audience at the end. Here's what you just like, saw. Like, here's the thing. Like, it, you want it to be the actual psychiatrist in the room having this conversation with Norman. Yeah. Like, that would have been I better. So. But then it, it wouldn't have worked because we can't see Norman speak with his mother's voice. Like, we can't. Well, maybe you could have seen, maybe he could have been obscured been or something. He could have been obscured by an object or... Maybe the camera is just on the psychiatrist and you just see his reaction to talking to Norman or something. Just there could have been a more graceful way to pitch. handle it, you know? That's a good pitch. Shall we dial up Hitch? <laughs> hey, Hitch, I got an idea to fix your classic 60-something-year-old movie. Let's talk about the shower scene because I had a whole section about the shower scene for the specs, but I thought it would make its own section. Uh, in the book long review, book length review... Um, between Hitchcock and Francois Truffaut, he told Truffaut that, like, Truffaut straight up was like, why do you want to make this movie? And he's like, shower scene. Like, that is why I wanted to make this movie. I would have sacrificed anything for the shower scene, which is why he made that deal with them. And basically he told him, so there's like, I don't know. No one is like definite on how many shots there are in that It's like 76 or something. So he told Truffaut that there were 70 camera setups and 45 seconds of footage. But in other interviews, he said 78. And then there's a whole ass documentary on just the shower scene. It's called, it's from 2017. It's called 78 slash 52 Hitchcock's shower scene. And so they mm. dug into it. And so like the final count is like 60-ish shots. Okay. But no one knows for sure. It's kind of interesting. And the way that they shot it was they had to like plug certain holes of the shower head and use just like a long lens and so the water was perfectly going around the camera. Wow. And they had to test it by like, let's plug this hole. Let's plug it. Let's see how it'll work. Wow. Because when the shot, the shots of the shower head, right? right. Straight on. Um, because how would they shoot it? Hershey's chocolate syrup for the blood. Okay. So the painting in the peephole, you know how he pulls yeah. away the peephole and whatever. There's a painting that's covering it. It's called Susanna and the Elders. And the scene of the painting is of a young woman who's trying to bathe, but two elders, it's a biblical story apparently, two elders are like spying on her and asking her to do sexual favors. That's what that painting is. So there's like all these levels of voyeurism going on, you know, like it's like, and it's, I don't know. I just think that that's like, it's a very cool detail. And of course he would do that. You can count on Hitchcock to to load that stuff in there. Yeah. Totally. Um, the sound is a cassava melon uh, being stabbed. I don't know why everyone mentions that cassava melon. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> I really had to know which kind of melon. Yeah. There's only one shot. So people were, for the longest time, people were like, you never even see like any knife penetrating any skin. But actually there is one shot. Where it was shot in reverse. Like they put, they got a knife, they put syrup, and then they pulled away from the body, but then they put it in reverse so it looks like it's going in the body. Did you catch it? I saw it. It's not the shirt where you see her like belly button, is it? It is, isn't it? 
See, that shot to me just looks like the knife is in front of her. It's not like angled towards her body. It's just like it's right in front of her. But there's blood. There's a hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. So yeah, that's that. Oh, and then Janet Lee's body double. So there's contradictory information here too. Because Janet Lee has stated that it was her the whole time. And the body double, whose name is Marlon Renfro, she was a Playboy cover girl. One of the first Playboy bunnies. And she, Janet Lee said, like, she's only used when he removes the body and puts it in the plastic and takes it out. But there's contradictory information. Apparently, the documentary says that it is that body double who pulls the curtain and then mm. the hand goes limp. Oh, shit. Um, Big stuff. So, yeah. It took seven days to shoot the shower scene. There's a false myth that Saul Bass, who's the storyboard directed artist, directed it. Directed it. Well, he also did the titles. Yeah. He's a famous, famous title designer. So, yeah, there was this myth going around that he directed that scene, but the assistant director has, like, stated firmly, like, no. I could see why people would think that because his style is very, like, fragmented and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. It took 26 takes of spinning out of Janet Lee's eye. You know, the famous shot. Well, the spinning looks, it's it's done with a still. Not completely. Right. So like the like, spinning part, the vertigo part is like it's still because you can see the grain is, is frozen on the image. Right. And then when the but camera starts pulling starts. back, then you see the grain reintroduced. But it took, yeah, it took like 26 takes wow. because she kept blinking. Oh, right. And even you can still kind of see her. You um, can kind of see her. And also the only usable take after 26 takes, she like takes a breath. So that's why it cuts back to the shower head. Oh. Which I think is an amazing shot, honestly. Just oh, like yeah, the eeriness incredible. of going back to the shower head. It's incredible. It's great. And yeah. like the music is done at that point, I think. It's so good. But yeah, those are my specs about the wow. shower scene. Yeah. Uh, it's truly one of the most famous scenes ever in a movie. It works. If not, maybe the single most famous scene. Is there a scene that's more famous? In any movie? Yeah. Ever. I don't think so. I mean, I'm thinking of like Battleship Potemkin Steps. I'm thinking of the rocket in the eye from A Trip to the Moon. But it's like, I feel like the shower scene Those are very Psycho. art house things you just named. I'm tr- like, think big. Think like E.T. <laughs> like, flying. I feel like this is more famous, right? It might be. It might be. Yeah. I never thought about it like this. Like, she's, the whole thing is like, she's getting clean, right? Before yes. she's, because she, Has jig is up, yeah. right? She's, she's going back. She's going back. She's trying to get to clean. Phoenix. Yeah. Never sunk in for me until this time oh, around. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. And then like. Well, I think that's why too, Hitchcock is able to linger because you know when the shower scene happens that something's about to happen. Because yeah. of the the filmmaking attention to detail, like all of a sudden it's focused on the shower head. It's focused on her getting in. And that's a scene you normally don't see in a movie. It's like right. someone goes to take a shower and they go off screen or whatever. Right. So the fact that he's shooting it in such detail, you know, something's about to happen. But I think he can almost write it off like, oh, this is her cleansing moment. Right. To not maybe tip his hand too much. But also, you know, something bad's about to happen because we've seen Norman peeping through the hole. Right. And... Okay, but the moment before she gets in the shower, when she's doing that math, what is she calculating? All she writes is forty thousand dollars minus seven hundred for the car. Yeah, but she can't do that math in her head. I know, seriously, because it's, it's such so easy numbers. Silly. I don't. Maybe she's also subtracting the hotel, which I think is ten dollars. I don't know. <laughs> And then she rips it up, right? And we get the famous shot of the toilet bowl. Yeah. But then when her sister comes back and finds the, the piece, clue, yeah. She, 
How did Norman like, not sis, catch that? First of all, that. Second of all, Sis fully put her hand in a toilet bowl. And was like, whoa, look what I got. Nasty. Yeah. What? Well, she's desperate at this point for any clue. She just, oh, look. Like, and they know the, that she stayed there. Yeah, I mean, She was I the guess. last person to stay in that room. You know what I love, though, about the shower scene? I love the the sound of the curtain closing oh, like yeah. when she first gets in yes it's so ooh, like cringy but no the, i mean the scene still gets to me i think the drain and the eye shot that match yeah. cut is pure genius yeah yeah um it's like a match dissolve and really every time i watch it i'm like wow like we fully see him clean up a crime scene during the haze code like that's yeah. crazy yeah that scene is key too, I yeah. think. Yeah. Because this really horrific thing has happened and the, him cleaning up the mess is mundane, but I think coming off of that scene, it makes it so amplified and gripping. Right. Because you're watching him get every last bit of blood, mop it right, up and everything. Right. And, it's and like, then the car, when he tries to sink the car, it stops sinking yeah. and then it continues again. Well, and at that point too, Norman does not know what just happened. Right. Because when he goes, as explained yes. at the end by the psychiatrist, when he goes into mother mode, he comes back to Norman as if yes. he was in a, a sleep. Yes. But when you first watched it, like, you knew he killed her, right? Yeah, because the movie's so famous. Yeah. yeah like, me too. I wish yeah. I didn't. I know. We'll never have that. I know. <laughs> but maybe, yeah, maybe we should talk about him. I think those two big choices that you mentioned about... You know, changing changing the perspective to uh, Marion Crane for the first like half of the movie, and then of course making him like cute and sympathetic. Like those are such good choices, and I think it works so well because Anthony Perkins is so perfect. Like he is so 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 good in this, and. Yeah, I just love, like, how he has no character intro at all. Like, he's kind of the opposite of Harry Powell, right? He is, like, character-wise. Right. He's the opposite. There's no big entrance. Yeah. He's very soft-spoken. Well, in a way that you don't think he's going to be a big deal in the story. Exactly, just weird enough. And I think that's what I love so much about him, that he's, like, just weird enough. He's just weird enough, and he's also, like he's personable and you can almost feel that she's like has a little bit of a crush on him when they're talking in the parlor before he starts crush i think she just feels bad for him i think she's like kind of she's charmed by him until he starts getting really defensive when she talks about putting his mother in a home or whatever you mean an institution (laughs) it's a great impression Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, I love when they're in the room. He's showing her the room and he goes, he's showing her everything, normal, yeah. normal. And then he goes, and the, um, and he can't say bathroom. Yeah. Like, the bathroom. Yeah. He's so good and such a naturalistic performance. And I love his like soft spokenness so much. I love when he's like, well, I'll save that actually. Well, it's funny because this is our second film on the list back to back that we've covered a psychotic a killer. Yeah. And it's two different approaches, right? Totally. The movies are five years apart. Yeah. Night of the Hunter, Robert Mitchum and Night of the Hunter is a larger than life storybook villain, hollering and singing, and it's this he's this big, big presence. This film, yeah, it's like he's just this shy, unassuming guy that's a little awkward. And it's yeah. like it's so funny the difference that those five years make. I know. Not to say that one approach is better than the other, although I know which one you think is better, and that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just that yeah, we're yeah. moving towards, it's 1960, we're moving towards naturalism yeah. and evil 
doesn't necessarily project itself yeah. in the way that it used to. Like the exactly. big bad villain is coming. It's like, oh no, it's just this guy that runs the inn. And Anthony Perkins came from the stage. Yeah. And he's just such a good actor. Like he's incredible in this. I love the way that he's kind of like shy. And like, I love when he says like, I wish I could apologize for other people. I oh, love yeah. when she's like, when they're talking about their personal traps, private traps. And, um, he goes like, I was born in mine. Like, I don't mind. She goes, but you should, you should mind. And he goes, oh, I do. And he like giggles. He's like, but I don't. Like, I say I don't, but I do. Like, he he's he's just so natural. Yeah. And I love it. I love it so much. I, and then after that, directly after that, when she's like, thank you. And he goes, thank you, Norman. And like, yeah, that's when she smiles when he says that. Well, I kind of feel um, like too, because he's such a good actor and he's so perfect in this yeah. role. Maybe it's just my shortcoming and then I haven't seen a lot of Anthony Perkins movies after, like, post-Psycho. I've seen a couple f- from the 60s. But, like, I feel like this movie, these the series, in a way, kind of, like, fucked his career up. It did. No, he like, got typecast. Yeah, you get really typecast. Bad. And so, eventually, I'm sure he, like, resisted sequels for a while. Why? And then it seems prob- like he did them his whole life, these sequels. Yeah, but the first sequel was in the 80s. So, he yeah. waited, like, 20-something years. Yeah, they tried. They tried to, like, put him in movies with, like... I think like Shirley MacLaine, he was in like a few movies with Shirley MacLaine and they tried to do it with Audrey Hepburn too. And yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I think too, he reads gay because he's gay he's in real gay, life. Yeah. And I feel like you can tell. Yeah. Kind of. And also, so, I mean, it doesn't help like the ending of this movie, like doesn't help, but. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. But you know, why doesn't he, why does he want to have dinner in the parlor? I guess I'm. Um, well, I guess it's just because that's the room with this, the most personality. That he because like it, why? Because he invites her up to the house, right? But then mother takes over. I guess he doesn't. I guess he doesn't have any control of it. Yeah, because I was like thinking that this time around. But as we were talking about him and his like acting, and he's so good that the scene with John Gavin at the end oh. when they're when they're doing yeah, their yeah. scene together, John Gavin is like so stiff. Like we've talked about John Gavin yeah. and thing. He's just like a classic 50s. Like when's the $40,000? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Anthony Perkins is so cool and nonchalant and not like that. Like it's kind of um, jarring. Jarring yeah, to but watch you know what? that it works. scene. It works yeah, because it works. John Gavin is supposed to be that guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. but yeah, no, totally. But I love watching that scene. And then when Lila Crane is looking through Norman's room and she finds that book so in the in the book in the novel, it's actually like a a book of pathological uh, pornography. Apparently, path it says pathologically pornographic book. Sounds great. They should have included it. <laughs> but I like I love that they didn't. Like it's like you see her, you know that there's something like shady in this book. Right. It's so good. Yeah, it's just a suggestion. Right. Right. But let's talk about sex. Yeah. Because well, the I way think, that her underwear, for one, yes, goes. In the opening scene is white. Yes. And then after she's stolen the money, every time you see her in her underwear, it's black. I didn't even notice that. Wow. But I think Hitchcock, yes, he's the master of suspense, but also he is the master of sex during the Hayes Code. Yes. He totally is. And I think this is such an ultimate example of it. He pushes it furthest here, I think. Like, North by Northwest is one of the most horny movies I've (laughs) ever seen in my life. But this, like the fact that it just opens and they're in bed, like I will never get over it. And in their underwear. Even watching it today to prep for this, the opening scene in bed, I was like, oh, this is like slightly steamier than I remember it being. It's very steamy. They're very into each other. Like I totally believe it from the start. And then when they're talking about like, 
what happens after the steak? Like, send sister to the movies and turn mama's picture to the wall. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. And then he says something else of like, what else are we going to do? Like, write each other lurid love letters? Yeah. <laughs> when she's like, I don't want to see you anymore. But yeah. Oh, another thing I love is when the when the sheriff's wife is explaining what happened to the mother. And she says that Norman found them in bed. Right. It's so good. He killed them in bed. But I just... um. Yeah. Oh, and then the private investigator's like, did you spend the night with her? Like, just bluntly, like, asking outright. That was, like, edited out for some countries. Oh, come on. I know. (laughs) And then I love them. Obviously, I love when Mother takes over and she goes, in the cheap, erotic fashion of young men with cheap, erotic minds. (laughs) So good. She'll not be appeasing her ugly appetite with my food or my son, she says. Um, And, okay, that seems great. How? How is it reaching Marion, like, all the way down that hill? He must be yelling. How? He must be. How could she hear? How could she hear? I don't know. The window's open. No, he's yelling. (laughs) Both parts. But yeah, I think this movie is just, like, the ultimate example of pushing the envelope and oh for sure i mean this movie so, opened so the floodgates good. yeah but but also careful not to give this movie too much singular credit because 1960 was also the year of peeping tom the michael powell yeah film. and people talk about that in relation to this movie all yeah. the time um so it's but no i mean you cannot underestimate this set a new path forward of like you could make movies about really insane fucked up characters and it was a big Hollywood movie that all these people went to go see and made all this money, made $50 million. And so it started, I mean, it's often credited as like starting the The slasher slasher genre, which wouldn't even really take off for another like 10 plus years after this. But interestingly, I mean, obviously so many people have so much reverence for this movie, but one of them being John Carpenter because mm-hmm. he, Janet Lee's daughter is Jamie Lee Curtis, mm-hmm. who he uses in Halloween and Halloween Donald Pleasanton's name is Loomis from this film. So there's yes. a lot of, I mean, there's echoes of this movie through, if we listed every film that referenced in psycho, we'd be Impossible. here for hours. We'd be here for days, but yeah, it's, I think truly one of a handful of like the most influential movies ever made. I think Definitely. it's like pretty safe to say. And you know, like we talked about the sex a little bit, but also like I think that the movie is also about marriage. Like it, it, it is so much about yeah, marriage. Like the fact that you know she's having sex out of marriage, and there's a trope, like we said, of all the slasher movies, like the final girl, right? Yeah. And the final girl, like remind me, she's supposed to be a virgin, virgin right? I mean, tr- traditionally. Traditionally. And people like look to this movie of like, oh yeah, like her sister is like the virgin and like she's I feel like Lila it. can't be a virgin, right? Why? I just don't buy it. I mean, I, I didn't think it. that much about it. And you know, yeah, like in Black Christmas we talked about, I mean, like Olivia Hussey's not a virgin. She's the final girl. Yeah. I think it's just um, like the purest, often like the purest person. One, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. So people like talk about that trope and yeah, the ones who are having sex out of wedlock like die first. And Well, John Gavin doesn't die. Because he's a man. Obviously. I don't know. I don't know that we can apply the final girl thing to this movie. No, I don't think we can, but oh, okay. people do. So mm. like my whole thing is like, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it was Hitchcock's intention at all to like punish the girl who had sex like i don't think that's what this movie's about at all in fact i think hitchcock is so pro-sex that like it's apparent in this and it's like 
Okay, I think I think the fact that the villain is like punishing himself for having sexual fancies says more than oh the girl that right, had sex like right, died. right for sure right yeah and in fact look at how the marriages are painted in this movie so there's Sam is divorced right um, and he's paying alimony that creep that comes and buys that house for his daughter his daughter's getting married at eighteen and they like <laughs> well, really yeah. make okay but like it's really obvious that it's like this is yuck. And uh, yeah, like Marion Crane wants to be married, but it's because she's in love and they have sexual chemistry, you know, like it's yeah. not like a conventional relationship. She's the foil of her colleague who's played by Pat Hitchcock, right? Yeah, who wants the attention from the creepy guy and didn't get it and reasons it away. Cre- yeah, oh, he must have seen my wedding ring. Yeah. But she's the one that had to take freaking tranquilizers on her <laughs> wedding night, right? And then she complains about, oh, Teddy called me. And then my mom called me to ask if Teddy called me. Like she talks about... The annoying parts of marriage, right? And the the nagginess and the neediness. And yeah, I mean, look at the domineering relationship of Norman and his mom. Like, that's kind of like a marriage, too. Oh, for sure, yeah. And he's jealous. And so, yeah, I think the movie's actually anti-marriage and pro-sex. Yeah, I never thought about that. It totally is. Well, since you touched on it, too, let's. I want to talk about Marion as it relates to the crime. Okay, the big crime mm-hmm. that she commits. This is how I felt for a long time. I felt, because ultimately, why does she steal the money? It's so that she can go on the run, end up at the base motel, get killed, and then hand the torch off to Norman Bates, who takes the story from there, right? Yeah. And then, of course, obviously, people in her life are still involved, and they get introduced to the story. Uh But I was like, okay, did Hitchcock make her a criminal so that we wouldn't feel as bad when she gets killed? No, I don't think so. But ultimately, I don't. I don't think that. She changes her mind. Because she changes her mind. That's true. But still, I mean, she still committed this. She can go, she can still get arrested when she goes back to Phoenix. Totally. But she's going back to Phoenix. Like, she's making the choice to come clean. But also until we see her step in that car and go back to Phoenix, do we truly know? What if she wakes up the next day and she's like, ah, fuck it. Well, why is she doing the math? She's doing the math to figure out how much she has to, like, take out of her savings to put back in it. Like The math is one of those, like... math is really... It's one of those Hitchcock visual things that's a little clumsy. Yeah, it is. It's It's like in Vertigo when she writes jimmy stewart the letter and then she reads it out loud like narrates it right. and then and then rips it up also so it's right. like just for the audience right. to see right right because it was an earring originally in the book the clue that they find is an earring oh but that's the, better the haze code didn't allow it i don't know why oh i so think that was one of the things that the haze code was like I see. oh that's too like sad or see, i don't know oh is that weird so she had to leave something up she had to leave behind. something behind but it's like and then he's like let me put it in a toilet yeah which is cool. Yeah. No, it's cool. Um, Especially if no one had done that before. Please show us a flushing yeah, toilet. Yeah. And like we're talking about marriage and whatever. And I think that. Well, this so, movie. Wait, wait, sorry. This movie walked so that Dumb and Dumber could run with, in terms of, of to- toilet scenes. Of course. But I think because in the book, um, Sam and the sister like kind of start a relationship. Of course, they decided not to do that in the movie, which is like such a good choice. But I think that if they did, then someone La could be like. Yeah, but I think that if they did, oh my god, you're right, it is love into. If they did, that would be a statement on like the virgin versus the slut, I think. Right. But they don't, which is like a really good move. Yeah. I know they toned down a lot of uh, there's some more graphics shit that happens in the book. She like, gets beheaded. She gets beheaded, yeah. So That's obviously wild. you couldn't do that or really even imply that. This is better. Yeah. Beheading is so like nasty. Like this yeah. is like this is like one of the classiest scenes of all time. Oh yeah. It's. Yeah. I think 
considering its subject matter, it's probably the classiest movie of its kind. Yeah, totally. Like, I can't think of one that's like more tasteful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like another kind of clunky plot thing was like when the private investigator's on the phone with Lila and he's like, he's told me every I've gotten everything I need to get from like the Bates Motel. And then like a second later, he's like, I'm going to go back there now to talk to the mom. Yeah. That's a little like. It was solely so that he could check in. Literally. So that yeah. Lila would know. Yeah, so oh, I haven't Lila, heard from him. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> but you know what though? Hitchcock. In in all fairness, I mean, did you clock that while you were watching it, or yeah. did you think about it afterwards? No, no, I clocked it while I was watching it. Yeah. I was like, didn't he just say he's done with the Bates Motel, and then he, oh, I'm going back? I mean, Hitchcock is not one. He'll always take cinematic uh, excitement over, yeah. like, the logistical stuff, yeah. right? But it's yeah. like, yeah, I clocked that, too. There's, there's a few things um, in this movie that seem a little fuzzy and you know what else is so sad that she when she arrives there at the motel he says like oh you're really close to fairvale like she's like she's almost there and i think that that helps so much with like watching her get murdered of like she's almost there yeah exactly so sad i know uh so we'll also uh, talk about her being the worst like this movie gives the most stress and anxiety I get from this movie is when she's on the run and just making terrible decisions, like acting so fucking weird in front of the cop, and then buying the car. Buying the, the car the cop is watching. The cop watches the whole fucking thing, and I'm like, you are the worst person to like steal <laughs> mu- to be a criminal. Like, don't <laughs> exactly, give it up. But she's not a criminal. That's the thing. Yeah, she's so bad. Um, at it. The cop is good. I love the cop sunglasses. Yeah. Well, I like, know Hitchcock. Very iconic. Hates. He hated cops. Oh, and that that big shot of his face with the sunglasses on on the side of the road is so so iconic yeah but yeah that car scene it's like okay like we saw the cop now you're not gonna buy the car right and it's like oh nope you're buying oh and he's coming great and you're just gonna run (laughs) okay (laughs) honestly how did he not track her down at the bates motel why did he just give up the chase after she bought yeah wait a second (laughs) hold on a second (laughs) And That's then a good I thought question. for sure watching this, because I hadn't seen it in like a few years, I thought for sure the cop was going to become involved later again. Like right. I thought they were going to like, somehow no. he was going to be involved of like, oh yeah, she bought this car. It doesn't even come up. He's just a pawn. He's a, he's a symbol in her criminal mode. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I do love the, God, I love when she's driving and she's imagining what people would say about her at like, so the good. office and stuff. Like, that when is... she grins when she like realizes what like the asshole guy is gonna say when he finds out she stole the money yeah oh She's it's really grinning. good it's really really good it is good i think pretty effectively captures what that feeling is of is like of like being in a not great situation and imagining what people are saying in, in the situation or whatever but my thing is like okay like you're gonna change your name they know it's you they know it's you you guys need to run. Are you moving to Mexico? Like, what are you, what's your plan? You know, yeah. are you changing your name? Yeah. Like, I know. Which she doesn't even think about. And then, of course, but it's smart because then she's like, okay, I'm literally putting myself in this trap. Like, for my whole life, I'm going to be on the run and I'm not going to do that. And I'm going back. Yeah. But her thing is, I. it's the weekend, right? She could totally get away with it. If she actually went back, I think she could have gotten away with it. She just needs to replace the $700. That's the math she was doing. That'd probably still take a while. The quick math. Also, adjusted for inflation, $40,000 in 1960 would be 417000 now. So it's like Shut she's looking at like up. almost half a mil. Oh, that's a lot. Like, but could potentially set her up for life if she's smart about it. So yeah, that's... uh. 
That's how much that is. It's a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck that guy. The cop? <laughs> no, fuck the the guy that was going to buy the house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For his 18-year-old engaged yeah, daughter. That guy is so creepy. Should we do sight and sound? Yeah. What's your favorite sight? Because mine's a combined sight and sound. You know, I have one combined sight and sound, and then I have separate sights and sounds. Oh, boy. So... My favorite sight that's independent is the shot of him like bending down when the private investigator's there and they're looking at the. Oh book. my God. Is that yours? It's so it was my runner up. Yeah, it's the shot when Arbogast comes and he has him look at the register for the hotel and Norman leans over and, he's and it's eating this, his candy yeah. and he leans over. Yeah. And it's yeah, an amazing I have that here. shot. Yeah. So that's my independent one. Me too. What's your combination? Look, I'm not going to try to be interesting here. It's the shower scene. Is it? That's my sight and sound. I mean, how could I not do it? I was almost going to go with the drain in the eye. Like, that's... And I think, too, because the film is so kind of like... I don't want to say languid, but like it it takes its time up until that point. And to have such a shocking from a subject matter scene, but also like the, the fragments of the way it's put together, it's just like... I can only assume it just took people's breaths away when they saw this because it's yeah. just like... It's like a uh, truly avant-garde. It's like montage, you yeah. know, Eisenstein editing yeah, in there. It's yeah, like yeah. it's like full on, and in in the midst of this film, that's not that way. Right. It's just like really is startling. Yeah, yeah, it is. And he doesn't it's use incredible. it for any of the other kills. Like when Arbogast gets killed, it's no. a great scene. Yeah, when he's <laughs> falling down the stairs. We didn't even talk about that. It's pretty ridiculous, but like it kind of is. yeah, he just stays on his face as he like tum- falls Whoa, down the stairs. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like that. So that's the only kill that's like pieced together that way. And, You're uh, right. Yeah. It's it's truly a marvel. Like it you is. could. I'm not surprised that many books and documentaries have just been written about the shower scene because it's it's a marvel. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. In case you've never heard the sound in that scene, this is what it sounds like. Again, Bernard Herrmann, because he taxidermied birds, you have the bird theme mm-hmm. in the screeching mm-hmm. of the birds is when she's getting killed. Yep. Fuck birds. <laughs> okay, so my sound that's isolated is uh, when he she's just agreed to like have dinner with him. He says this. All right, yeah, you, you get yourself settled and, and take off your wet shoes, and I'll be back as soon as it's ready. Okay. With my, with my trusty umbrella. <laughs> Like, I think that line just perfectly summarizes, like, the cute Norman. Like, he's mm-hmm. so... It's just, like... I was like, my jaw dropped! Because he's so... I don't know. I guess I'm just... I'm just very impressed at how naturalistic he is. Yeah. The he's, like, stumbling, and he's yeah. laughing, and... 
He's I great. just love it. I love that line. I, it's just such like it's something anyone would say, and that's like cute and funny and awkward. And yeah, yeah. Uh, but then my combined sight and sound is kind of the dolly shot into it's the last scene where the cop is taking him a blanket. Oh. Where he goes in, and then we don't see Norman, but we see the cop go in the room, and then we hear. Thank you. It's so good. Honestly, too, brilliant way of shifting to the other room. Because we're in one room in the police station. And it's like, how do we get to the room with Norman? You could just cut there. Or you could have a cop come to the door being like, can I take him this blanket? Yeah, sure. Follow that cop down the hall. It's just, it's an effortless little way to like make that connection between the two scenes. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's unsettling. And his mother's voice, yeah, it's just so good. You are right about, like, we could never see Anthony Perkins open his mouth and no. talk in the mother voice. It would ruin it. Yeah, it would yeah, ruin it. It would. It would. That's so, why we hear yeah. his thoughts at the end. Like, those are his thoughts. I wouldn't even swat that fly. Yeah. So good. It's really good. And then that crossfade at the end, yeah, is just incredible. Like, even this, t- this time around, I was like, ooh, like, I, like, physically, like, cringed. Yeah. Well, we would normally do Paul and Kale here, but like I said does not seem to have reviewed this film and does not seem to have reviewed many Hitchcock films, which led to people thinking she doesn't like him, but I don't think that that's the case, especially especially because she's a big De Palma fan. But she did say, and I, I found this online, and this is someone paraphrasing. Okay. And she mentioned it just offhandedly somewhere else. Okay. But she said basically like, that Psycho scared her and disgusted her because in the shower scene, she felt like Hitchcock had some sort of gleeful identification with the killer. Oh. So, get a little glimpse there. I don't know about that. I don't I don't think so either. <laughs> I don't think there's any identification. Although, we do get into... But see, the thing is, Norman's mental illness is the twist, right? Because it's the twist... We don't really get to sit with Norman while other people aren't around, except for the very end mm-hmm. and a couple of just sporadic scenes. Right. But like, this movie's not interested in probing into Norman's mind of like, what's making him tick? It's not interested because his illness is literally the plot twist. Right. So anyway, letterboxed? Yeah. I will also add that apparently Janet Lee uh, was afraid to take showers after this movie. Wow. Even her. Huh? Yeah. So I didn't even really pull any serious reviews on this one because I feel like this movie doesn't like lend this. itself to like writing a think piece in 2024. But here's a good one. They gave it four stars and they said, bro's mind is the real hotel. Everyone be living in it rent free. <laughs> four stars when he's six one, handsome and in touch with his feminine side. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> but like hard eyes. Someone gave it four stars and said, the real psycho is Janet Lee for getting in the shower before letting it heat up. No. It's true. I always wonder that in movies. Like, when they just step right in, I I'm know. like, bro, where's the scream? But doesn't she turn on the faucet and then do her calculation or no? Am I thinking? Oh, wait. <laughs> wait, maybe you're right. calculation. And then she rips mm, it. Well, I actually don't know. I don't know either. Five stars. Yes, he does the cooking. Yes, he does the cleaning. Hard. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, someone gave him five stars and said, Father, Alfred Hitchcock. Son, Anthony Perkins. Holy Spirit, horror movies. Oh. Uh, 
<laughs> Someone gave just gave it a heart and said Andrew Garfield did great in this movie. He, he does, does yeah. remind me of Andrew Garfield. Definitely. He does. Oh my the smile, the yeah. smirk. He does. Wow. That's great. This was fun. This was psycho. You had all kinds of fun tidbits about the, the production just and so stuff. There's so much written about this movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. It is, yeah. Like, it's really good. No, I know. I know. It, it, it is. And I think just as a filmmaker, this movie lives with you all the time. It's just, but it's like, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, like, I hope that neither of us sounded to other people who are listening like we don't appreciate this movie or like that we, it's, it's not that. Like, it's a great film. And I do really enjoy watching it. And I feel like every time I see it, I learn something else mm-hmm. from it. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's not my go-to Hitchcock and it's not my go-to horror, you know, slasher or whatever. But it's great. It's great. It's so good. It's so good. Like, <laughs> I love Dial M for Murder. Oh, that's like great. People don't talk about Dial M for Murder. People enough, sleep on like, that one. I think it's amazing. I think it should be on the list. Yeah. My favorite Hitchcock movies outside of like Vertigo and Rear Window and North by Northwest were always like kind of the, it's like Dial M for Murder. I really love Rope. Rope is good. I love those kind of like lesser talked about ones. I even really like the Jimmy Stewart man who knew too much, even that's a little ridiculous. I like it. It's Wait, good. Why is it ridiculous? Eh, I, mean, I haven't seen the original one. You know what? I haven't seen it either. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little silly, the whole Doris Day, but it's fun. Or even like, like it's fun. I like Saboteur. I like Foreign Correspondent. I, I kind of like some of the more the lesser known Hitchcock yeah. films. Um, um Trouble with Harry is a is a fun one because it's like kind of a it. comedy. I don't know. I think it's just because I don't love horror that much. But no, I, I I love watching this movie. It's fun and it's a great movie. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is Psycho. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you got something out of this. Uh... If anything, just uh, how much I don't like birds. Yeah. Well, if we do the, the 250, we'll get to the birds eventually. I think I should watch it before that. What's next? Sunset Boulevard is next. Wow. We got these classics. So, yeah, another uh, bona fide classic. Yeah. I'm so excited. So, if you haven't seen Sunset Boulevard, please go watch it. It's one of the greats. I'm so excited. And then come back here next week for an episode on it. Yeah. Until then, I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. And signing off. See ya. Special thanks to the patrons at our highest tier, John Pennington and Cynthia Fordwell. Seen and Heard is an official podcast of the Arroyo Film Club.